0: You know, one thing I've learned after having done this podcast for a number of months now is that what my guests do for a living isn't actually as important as their ability to speak about the reasons why they do what they do. Their ability to talk about the philosophies that guide their actions. And my upcoming guest has lived a fascinating life. He is a rock climber. He is a surfer. He's been to 62 countries. He's an ex-marine. He is a photojournalist. He photographs social issues around the world. He photographs women in really interesting and provocative ways. Go check out his website, donmira.com, two R's, um, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But more than that, his ability to talk about the philosophies that guide his actions was what really stuck out to me during this conversation
1: here's a quick clip so your reality is defined by experience so therefore the breadth of your experience defines the breadth of your reality and so what you always run into is people who are not necessarily engaging in their life for added experiences instead they're aiding they they're, they're aiding in their life or they're they're moving into their life to distract themselves from a lot of the pain they're in as always if you'd like to get in
0: touch with me head over to my website kyle.surf not kyle.surf.com just kyle.surf Give me recommendations for new guests, feedback on how I can make this show better. I'm doing this for you, so eh, I'm doing it for me, too. It's fun. I have a good time, but I want to know how I can get better. So uh, Instagram me or head over to Kyle.Surf and write to me. And also write to Dawn. My guests always love hearing from you. Before we get going with this show, I really want to thank Andy and the guys at Core Surf for supporting this episode. These guys listened to the show. They reached out to me. They said, hey, we are Core Surf, and we make beautiful bamboo surf racks, and we'd like to sponsor a few episodes of your podcast, and not only that, they're going to give all of you 30% off. By typing in the code name KYLE30, you get 30% off all Core Surf products. They make... These beautiful bamboo surf racks, they sent me some and I set them up and I finally feel like I'm a grown up because my entire life, my surfboard quiver has looked like a fucking rat's nest and I've just piled boards on top of boards and they all have Chinese wax jobs. Speaking of which, do you think that Chinese wax jobs is an offensive term for Chinese people? Let me know in your comments below. But thankfully, I don't ever have to think about that ever again, because now I have these beautiful bamboo surf racks. They also make um, stand-up paddleboard racks. They make skateboard racks. Just awesome shit. So go over to their website, Surf. that's C-O-R-Surf.com, and type in the code name KYLE30, all lowercase, and go get all of your Christmas presents, because they're great. I want to keep working with them, and... um Go buy their stuff if it's something that you need. All right. Without further preamble, please welcome Don Mira. This was a dynamite podcast. Enjoy. Show. So I've been keeping a journal since you gave me the advice to keep a journal.
1: Oh, right on, man. And
0: I'm enjoying it. I used to keep a journal in uh, college. There was a, a class that required us to keep journals, and I found that my anxiety levels significantly dropped the mornings that I would take five minutes to write about my anxieties and my hopes for the day and mostly what I was worried about. Mm. And what's been helpful for me, having kept a journal even in the fir- in these first few days, is that I'm realizing that a lot of my anxieties that I had five years ago in college, I still have today. They're Ooh. just playing out in different situations.
1: I love how they show up all the time. They like, do. Like uninvited. They don't even bring a bottle of wine to the party.
0: No, and it's helpful because I'm able to laugh at it. I'm able to laugh at my own neuroses a little bit more than when it stays inside my head because i can think i've heard this story before yeah i've written this same sentence five years ago yeah it's still the same fear of not being good enough not going to succeed uh yeah mostly just like a fear of my own inadequacies and even just writing them down on paper has helped make me take those less seriously
1: oh yeah I think that you're, you're kind of moving into a space that I think a lot of people, especially now, could really benefit from, uh, and that is that if we're, if we're involved in a back and forth of interior dialogue uh, that's cyclical, uh, we're not really paying attention to our own voice in our own head, and I mean, that's key. So you journaling, what you're doing is you're physically manifesting an interior narrative, Hmm. Okay. Tell me more about this. So your behavior is downstream of interior narrative. Okay. So as an example, um, you don't... (coughs) Pardon me. Right. So I think a thought and then I behave that thought out. Exactly. And that could be socially constructed from a peer group. That could be the desire for social currency. All sorts of triggers. Essentially establishing yourself into a certain fantasy in your head about what's going on and it's just like whew, yeah i mean Disney's more real than the fantasy in our head right right okay so however stresses are real your emotions are real your feelings are real they could be based on mistaken beliefs they could be derived from a multitude of erroneous sources but your experience is real let's be honest i mean when you go on a roller coaster you're not going to die but you have the experience of imminent death you know so i mean that's why i climb I mean, climbing is probably the safest thing I've ever done in my life, honestly. And yet it's bloody terrifying. Yeah. Okay. So, but you writing things down, what it goes back to is it's saying, ah, so now I see a historical trend. Now I understand there is this piece of me that's consistently looking for this X, this blank space. and. If we just address that, then we're kind of still kind of trying to game the game, you know, as opposed to saying, well, what's upstream of that? Well, upstream is maybe this or maybe this or or maybe I'm emulating behavior versus being engineered in behavior.
0: Mm, emulating versus being engineered. What do so you mean by as, that? An engi-
1: as an engineering system, you're as an engineering system, you're yeah, going to be that's forced. Good. That's yeah, good. OK, I'm going to be forced or you would be forced or a person is forced into a certain behavioral consciousness whereas emulation is the limbic system in survival mode saying well you know everybody's doing this i'm gonna do the same thing right and that's a survival mechanism Um, there's a great organization called the Cascadens group this is run by a wonderful woman who i met uh, a couple years ago at the global innovation summit held in san jose and she was fascinating to talk to you because she's saying, hey, listen, like most of the reasons why you're having problems in your life or your business, she specialized in business culture, is because you don't realize that you're trying to correct individual behavior that is antithetical to the group dynamic. And we interface with group dynamic all the time. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Uh, steampunk is the uniform of Burning Man. Sure is. Why not wear a suit? Because you are uh, in, in an organism. There's, there, there's <laughs> no fucking because. Yeah. There's no because. It's The reality is to do that would be heretical. You are a threat to the modus operandi of that group of people. And so you'll be outcast. You'll be ostracized. And so for thousands of years, I need to be accepted by my peer group to not be is to die. I won't be given food. I won't be put into the mating sequence. I won't have sex. So, I mean, the list goes on, right? And that's why I, what I've always said for a long period of time is that large-scale organizations do not promote those that reform, but rather those that conform. Right. Right. So, as, and I mean, I don't know if it's natural for me or not, but, you know, I grew up I, at 12. I started surfing. I've always been a surfer. I just love it i've never worn any surf gear in my life and i've been a climber since i was like 25 i've never worn climbing stuff i've done a lot of things i don't want to buy into a behavior i'm my own person i'm not going to decorate myself to blend in i'd rather not i just want to be me yeah i'm this guy i happen to surf too yeah i mean i was an active duty special operations marine You know, we can go down that road and that'll be a dark hole. Yeah, and I also surfed and I caught some of the best waves of my life right off of Camp Pendleton, you know? I mean, epic, you know? And you would never think. So why fulfill a stereotype? Why play along? Why not just be you, you know?
0: Right, but it's very easy to fulfill a stereotype. I've experienced this even having moved to LA recently and seen the silliness of a lot of that culture where people wear their paychecks as necklaces and very much posture to show you how much wealth they have. And none of that stuff has mattered to me in the past, and it shouldn't matter to me now. And I find that it's, become necessary for me as I am participating in a certain degree of this industry. And I see the benefits of participation to also take a step back and go on surfing trips and go on hunting trips
1: where I can recalibrate myself. You as a hunter in LA, I mean, talk about Satan. (laughs) Come on. right? Quite frankly, I'm I'm wanting to get on the VIP list for the hunt, personally. Right. I mean,
0: yeah. Mm, there's, actually good, there's actually good... There's actually land around L.A. where people hunt. It's There's a core little community of hunters in that area. I'm but. looking
1: at my calendar. When do we go? Yeah. You know. So did, have you uh, been into hunting a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a little bit. You know, I mean, for me, other things have taken priority, but um, I... My my view on hunting is a little bit more kind of in the center. Yeah. Like uh, you know, I think you know, big came like trophy hunting, kind of like see me, see me. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. No one sees you in the end. Right. Uh, You know, you know, except those who want to participate. What do you mean by
0: that? No one sees you in the end.
1: No, I mean, well, it comes nihilistic. Uh, Yeah. So I'm working on a a small, really cool little book um, called Traveler's Art right now. And I had an experience about a year ago when I was in Cuba and I was traveling with some people and they did not get what it meant to travel. And we had some conflict and it's been resolved, you know, (laughs) thankfully. (laughs) Uh, I almost lost a really good friendship over it and and, and, that could be partly my fault, you know, uh, but not entirely. Wait, what are we talking about
0: here? You're being so obtuse.
1: I know. So, but in short, what travelers' art is about is about kind of the ethics and exploration of something, right? And so... Um, you know, I totally lost my train of thought. What, so we we are talking. This is what happens, man. Like thousands of stories just entered my brain at light speed. It's okay. Like a fair. It's like a fire hose to the face. Yeah, no, it happens to me all the time. Oh, wow, don't worry. Um,
0: well, we were talking about hunting first, and then yeah. we were talking about traveling, and then you <laughs> talked about a conflict that you had with your friends in Cuba.
1: Oh, that was the inspiration for me to write travelers. I- and the reason why i wrote the book was that prior to that book i was in the ukraine in kiev and i shared a house with a guy who was from well, the, hold on the, sorry, sorry, right, go for it! I'm go for it go for, right don't, 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 don't <laughs> i'm going to bring us all back i trust you for all you <laughs> listeners were about to come back on topic so if you have to rewind no problem <laughs> we'll get back okay so he ends up showing me a bunch of photographs about all the great places he's been. Him in front of the Eiffel Tower. Him in front of the Sphinx. Him in front of Machu Picchu. And it dawned on me, I don't give a fuck about where you've been, man. I don't. Because I've never been there. And I just care about me. Which dawned on me, no one really cares about where I've been. Because they're comparing themselves against other people. It's this its this form of like social commerce comparativeness. I'm not down for that. So, too, trophy hunting it, that's just a form of another Papua New Guinea penal sheath. It's like, I'm seeking to display something about me so that you will value me and validate me. Well, that automatically, you become their slave. Why? So, because you're, because you're, you're, see- wait- you're seeking their approval. Bingo. Right. Right. So, for me, my travel experience is never about me. They're about the things I saw That don't include me that I share with people that might be interested if you're not interested doesn't matter Right, you're your own person. So when you're in Los Angeles Everybody's on display. They're like the peacock, you know, they're just their feathers are plumed, But nobody's really giving a shit. You know why because they're not really looking at you They're just looking at themselves through you and that's upsetting so you're you're naturally going to be attracted to participating in that social economy because it's validating. Otherwise, you'll be ostracized. And since you're seeking to integrate, you're naturally going to seek to emulate. Right. Yeah. So it takes a lot of character and strategy to think about how you're going to move through that landscape. How do you strategize that?
0: What advice would you give me? Oh, Keep a journal. You know, I, think the, I, I think that journaling is huge because it forces, at least <clears throat> has forced me to question a lot of those assumptions that go around in my mind that I haven't really articulated. And as soon as I write it down on paper... All of a sudden, the light is shining on the monster, and I get to see that it's not as scary as it once looked. Bingo. Right?
1: Right. It's, you know, the imagination is always more grandiose than the monster before us. God, it
0: is. And even when you're, like, when I talk about things that I'm afraid of, um, one strategy that I've used that i found has been really helpful is to think about and talk about the worst case scenario. Like, what's the worst case scenario in this situation? Like, okay, I'm pitching a TV show. Worst case scenario, no one picks it up. I'm oh. still okay with myself, right? I'm, I'm still here. You right? aren't
1: your show. Right. Right, I mean, yeah. And no doubt, I, I, consistently, I mean, when I watch you drop in on Mavericks, I'm like, dude, no. And the reason why, because I was at Tarantulas, you know, near point conception. Mm -hmm. I was on like a seven, six or something. And and I'm like, Oh, this is a great day. I'm paddling out, you know, I'm having a great time. I'm by myself. And I noticed that I'm kind of getting pushed North and I'm like, okay. So I kind of paddle South and I'm looking at the suction coming out. I'm like, Oh, okay. And I'm like, man, it's, I may just go in. It's kind of like died. And then this thing in the horizon is on its way. And I just go, oh boy and instead of paddling straight out I paddled you know kind of 45 degrees to get out of that channel and let me just tell you when that wave broke the nose of the board I was on oscillated (laughs) and it didn't break on me I was like it went by me and I'm like I was like uh, Quinn in the movie Jaws no, it was uh no it was the chief when jaws comes up and bites uh like this thing out of the chief's <laughs> hand and he freaks out he drops a cigarette and he goes back and he just goes we're gonna need a bigger boat because right, what right. i said was literally kyle i said oh fuck i'm gonna need a bigger board <laughs> and thus became the saga that i almost died that day like it was really close like right. i think my vision got down to like a toilet tube and then i was able to get oxygen and re-oxygenate. <laughs> those are fun. those are yeah. fun yeah You know, being a climber, I had a strong grip, and there's actually, before I broke that board, there were actually imprint marks from my fingers (laughs) holding onto the board with my life, and I could just, like, tell you the story about that, but that's another...
0: So I'm going to challenge you on something. Okay. We're talking about um, creating art for yourself, and we're talking about not conforming. You're a photographer. You are, in one way or another, an entertainer you're in the entertainment business, you're showing your art to other people. So by nature, you need to think about the audience in a certain way and you need to care about what they think.
1: How do you walk that tightrope? Wow, great question, man. And it is a tightrope, it's tight. I would almost describe it as a slackline, which is far more demanding, technically. That's not to diminish what uh that famous French highwire did back in the seventies when he did the walk across the Twin Towers. <laughs> oh, wow. If you haven't seen that film, wow. Yeah, that's a good Man one. on Wire. Man on Wire. That's a oh, very good one. Oh yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Indeed. All right. Because it oversimplifies
0: it to be an artist and say, I don't care about what people think about my art. Oh, that's a right? lie. It's a lie. a lie. It's a lie. Yeah, because a lie. why are you producing it? Why are you showing it to people?
1: Yeah. So, so here, you know, you bring up a good point. So where am I going to find that balancing point? Where am I going to find equilibrium? Well, first off, it's not a static point. It's dynamic, right? Like most of life. I mean, anything that's been static in our current understanding of reality doesn't last too long. I mean, there are a few organisms that are static, right? And we can look at the large-scale organisms all the way to the smaller ones, but there are not a lot of them. We tend to adapt and evolve and change based on our environmental inputs, okay? But to answer specifically, do I care about my audience? Absolutely, sure. But not if they like me, but more importantly, do they get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, so that's where... I'm, I don't want to say divorced, but I'm, I have clear boundaries. Yeah, I took that photograph. I created that photograph. I was part of that experience. But I'm not that photo. I'm not that experience. And, and the primary reason why is good art is not entertainment. It's evocative. It, it, it forces us to move into a place where we consider the perspective from that artist's point of view that may challenge our own or inspire a new one of our own. That's kind of the point. Now, art. remember, I mean, we're getting to like art history here. Art as a modus operandi has changed over time based on the environmental inputs for, into the human being. And I'm not an art historian. I don't want to qualify myself as such. But real art that has value, in my opinion, does not exist in and of itself it is the byproduct of a more complex narrative that the artist is experiencing through their, through their life, okay? And sadly, Americans don't really get irony and they're not very good at satire, okay? Which is really sad. But there's a lot of irony in photography and art in general. And there's a lot of satire in some things that people don't get. But if we were to move away from categorization or definitions, because when you define, you confine, The real challenge is to say, as I'm looking at a creative piece, why does this have value to me and would, would it have value to others? And if it has value to others, it has value to others where I don't matter. So if
0: no one is going to really remember us because we are all just reflections of people Um or you know, people are kind of looking at us to look at themselves. Why does it matter for someone to see your art? What can what can an evocative piece do for a viewer?
1: Um it has the opportunity to expand consciousness because you can't know what you don't know. Reality you define reality based on your experience. So therefore the breadth of your experience defines a breadth of excuse me, the breadth of your reality defines the breadth of your experience. Let me say that one more time. So your reality is defined by experience. So therefore, the breadth of your experience defines the breadth of your reality. And so what you always run into is people who are not necessarily engaging in their life for added experiences. Instead, they're aiding, they're, they're aiding in their life or they're, they're moving into their life to distract themselves from a lot of the pain they're in.
3: Oh, fuck yeah, Right, Because
1: life is painful. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's painful because you're looking at that screen. You're not going to find what you're really looking for in your life on that tablet, that phone, or that TV. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. That's a great answer. Nope. No? <laughs> it's a dead-end road. I got news for you. It's really rare. It's rare that you'll find something. Now... The reason why it'll have value, if you're viewing it on the screen, is the intentionality behind the person that produced that is challenging, and it challenges the status quo that might have funded it. It challenges the status quo of the viewing audience. People don't may not get it. You're uh, you're blasphemous. You're heretical to the establishment. I mean, those are the things that really have sticking value. Because if you go back to the value of real story, story is, at its kernel, uh, an ethos, um, a way of making your life better, but it's packaged uh, around a sweet narrative, right? The hero's journey is the best example of that by Joseph Campbell. And so when you ask me, hey, wait a second, you say you don't care about your, you know, I'm an art I create on my own. I'm like, you know, that's to an extent that's true. I mean, to say... I would say I've come to a place as a creative, you like it, you don't like it, it's the same to me. Because now we're gonna dialogue. You know, you you look on my wall and you're like, there's like nude women on your wall. I mean, what is going on here? And my response is gonna be, great, let's have a sit down. You want a cup of coffee, let's talk about it. Let's talk. But, let's but, talk about it. <laughs> but if you don't like it, let's talk about it. Right. You do like it, let's talk about it. But apathy, that's where I get scared. Ooh. That's where I get worried. Because that means I failed, and ambivalence. Absolutely, you know. Um, as an example, like if I show uh, some of your photographs and your videos to uh, someone, and they're, they're like zero affect. I'm like, to me, I'm, I have a visceral response, which is another issue. But I'm gonna be like, holy shit! Like, what's what didn't? Wait a second! What don't you get? What don't you understand? Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, that's the problem. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's what worries me a lot about um, the amount of people who are on antidepressants in our day and age because it creates this kind of midline of emotion where people don't get those high highs and those low lows that can
1: self actualize. There was a great movie made in the uh, 70s called Rollerball. Haven't heard of it. Rollerball. Okay. Yeah. What's it about? Uh, dystopia, medication, violence wait a minute, kind of sounds like where we are now. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, that goes back to a, a lot of other narrative that, um, I mean, we're friends with Chris Ryan and stuff. And, and, uh, but anthropology is something I think that we all should interface with at least a little bit to kind of understand ourselves. And the problem is apathy. And many people are anti, on antidepressants. They're apathetic. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, it's the, the dead feel nothing. Trust me, I've seen it of dead people. They don't feel shit, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I am. I, um, it, it makes me think, actually, of a, uh, a recent experience I had. Uh, my grandfather just passed away last year, 98 years old, lived a great life. Um, and during the funeral, people were telling stories about him. And one thing that kept coming up was what an outdoorsman he was how much he loved nature, how he would take this walk along the redwoods every single day for the last 15 years. And I was hearing all these people talking about him and I was thinking they would describe me in virtually the same way. Mm. I am so unoriginal. All of my (laughs) (laughs) hopes and dreams and activities that I love doing are all pretty much the same ones that my grandfather had. And it was a very freeing feeling because today we are tasked, our generation, I feel one of the reasons that so much uh, anxiety comes with um, being in your 20s is that you're expected to do something new and different and shock people. And it's really hard to do because generation after generation of people have lived their lives. And a lot of people have figured out how to live happy lives and, you know, what generally makes us sad. And, and as a result, we're chasing the new next thing instead of looking backwards and having a reverence for that past and understanding that even if what you're doing now isn't new and original, it can be ethical and it can be right. And that is a good way to live your life.
1: I couldn't I, I, I don't even know if I can say it better My <laughs> man really no seriously
0: uh. but like it, it for me what it was and I think I feel this kind of anxiety a ton as a storyteller trying to pitch a new story trying to pitch something that people haven't heard about and will excite people and will be new and novel and I and a really um, uh, uh, the, Adam Skolnick the guy who writes for Lonely Planet gave me this piece of advice he said you know Kyle don't worry about telling a story that's already been told because you're gonna tell it in your own way. And it was such a freeing feeling for me to get that piece of advice.
1: Yeah, I mean, just because you're first doesn't mean it's good. Right. Duh. Think about the first time you had sex. horrible. Oh, God, dismal <laughs> failure. Right. God. I'd have to say I'm just an ongoing disciple of this sexual act. Right. Thankfully. I'm incomplete. Uh, I I assume uh, only only opportunity for improvement. Yeah. Thankfully, Uh, to segue on on what you're talking about, I think is a key factor. And the reality is that things that are new and to be the first and, and loud. I mean, it's really what I I think about the word loud. I need to be loud. You know, I need to be tall. Actually. I'm reminded of a woman I dated from Barcelona, Spain. She's so awesome. And she said, I'm not one day we were walking around and, and she said, I don't understand what's wrong with you Americans. You, you think that if you're not the biggest, the brightest, the strongest, the smartest, the prettiest, the richest, that you're not on the front cover of a magazine, that, that there's something wrong with you. Like being sad is normal. Um, being happy is normal. Uh, not having everything is normal. N- being invisible is normal. It's okay. And I thought, hell yeah, it's totally okay. You know, I, I, I think that, especially now, there's so much pressure and so so much social engineering. This onslaught of the next best greatest. It's getting to the point where it's just noise. It's just like listening to a bunch of people talk in a really big party, a lot of lot of sound waves entering my ear canal, of which none are discernible. Yeah, man. I don't want to be there. Quite yeah. Frankly, I I can't handle it. Like my bones start to hurt, and I got to leave. And you're right. That's intense. That can create an anxiety. And maybe most of our lives will be nothing more than when we flush the toilet. That's our contribution. And. That's going to be okay. Because the world was fine before you came here. It's going to be fine when you leave. It really is. But are you going to be okay while you're here? Because you're not going to find it in a handbag. You're not going to find it on a TV screen. It's not going to be that car, that truck. It's not going to be any of that. That stuff is stuff. To hide more stuff, to put more stuff in, to get a bigger stuff... To more stuff to put in your stuff to get a storage locker to put in your house and the list goes on
0: and then your friend calls you to go on a really fun adventure and you say oh, I can't, go. I, I can't gotta, go I gotta clean my garage this weekend
1: God that just like s- euthanize me man <laughs> <laughs>
0: sell me on van life man van life no, I was I'm, talking I'm, to you the other night and you, then you sent me some links and I'm like alright I'm doing it I'm doing hey, it but, no. I, but I'm in this place where I haven't done it yet and I Oh, that's okay. No, I mean it's It's good. No, it's good. It feels like it's it's uh it's like a uh, a deep tissue massage. (laughs) where, (laughs) where, Where the masseuse says it's is it too hard? And he's like, no, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. It's good. yeah It's yeah. good.
1: I got a massage last night, and she was rolling on my IT bands, and I'm like, I got sympathetic tears kind of out of my I start,
0: eyes. I start whimpering. Like, no, 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 you start no, 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 no. whimpering.
1: <laughs> God, me and are so weak. Women are like, are you kidding? I'm getting birth to a child. This is nothing. <laughs> I'm right. like, oh, I'm going to cry. So... Not van life. Yeah, why don't we go there? Van life is awesome. I really recommend it. I would say that uh, the challenge with van life is you're kind of a social outcast in a lot of ways. A lot of your social currency, people are going to look at you odd. They're not going to get it. They're not going to understand. Their value systems are being compromised. They're feeling threatened. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, you're sitting in my little teeny apartment. This is like a a little bit bigger than the Soyuz capsule. And everybody comes in here and is like, I love this space. It's so great. You're right across from this Balboa Park and you can walk to like Great Park. I'm like, yeah. 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 Because I am not Lord Grantham with Downton Abbey. I don't need to be the state. <laughs> I I'm okay with it, you know. I mean, I lived in my van three times by choice and by desperation at a few times. Why not? What's the worst that could happen? I don't know. You get beachfront property at horseshoes when it's breaking ten feet and you just get out of your van because you parked at two in the morning and you have a parking spot. Ooh. Or you decide, I'm just gonna drive all the way down to Mendoza, Argentina, and sample wine. And it takes you three months to get there. Ooh. You know? I, I remember I lived off of twenty two thousand dollars in two thousand and three. In a van? In a van. The only expenses I had was car insurance, my cell phone bill, which my first cell phone was bought in two thousand and three. I've resisted, you know. Um, I'm not a luddite, but I'm also, you know, no technology is going to solve the interior psychological problems. All right, I've bring done. me, bring me into this. <laughs> yeah, man. This six
0: so, months. This sounds wonderful.
1: So it was, uh, it was, it was a good experience. You know, I. I basically got a gym membership, which is where I would shower and uh, take a poop. And I'd also work out, which I really, for me personally, some level of physical fitness is key to my mental health more than my physical
0: health, honestly. Oh my God, yes.
1: So that's why I'm a lot like you. If I'm in the water, like the last thing I want to do is get in an argument with somebody over a wave. I'm like, you know what, you can have it, man, because you know what, the ocean's big and there's more coming. I'm not gonna have a piss. I got other stuff to worry about, and so uh, I would cook in my van because I had a nice VW camper van that I convert. I basically tore it apart, rebuilt it, uh, got it in, in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. Actually, my friend Darren bought the van for me, and then I paid him back, and I did this full restoration and. I loved her. She was just, Oh, she was so awesome. I mean, Darren was a girl. (laughs) No, Darren was my climbing partner. And he's like, he's like my, he's like my older brother. What was her name? So the van was Sandy because she was desert sand color. Oh, with the classic VW white pop-up top. And, um, and,
0: and where was the gym that you um, say so that in relation? I did
1: twenty four hour fitness for a while. I okay. didn't like twenty four hour fitness for a few reasons, and so I left. I'm now a twenty four hour fitness member because I did a lot of travel for like the last five years, so it's a great way to just be able to get a gym workout in, kind of calm my mind a bit. And um, but I, oh boy, I had, did a lot of surfing in Mexico. Did I lived out of my van when I was in Yosemite Valley. Uh, Climbing a lot. I did a lot of climbing on El Cap.
0: Uh, Was that when you could park your van inside the valley?
1: Yeah. Yeah, That that, that that, law didn't take place until relatively recently, right? I think so. And you know, when I was there, the rangers still kind of would shoo you around and try and control that. You know, they're doing their job. I didn't look at them as, you know, I didn't look at them as like the enemy or anything like that. But, um Do
0: you have any big lessons while you were in that van space? Any life lessons that
1: you Less is more. Less is more. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I will say this. Uh, staying clean is a, a really interesting part of that process. So I used to wash my van every week, like religiously. It was like my Monday morning ritual. And the reason why I didn't want to look or from kind of a social level kind of like this vagabond dirtbag right And, and you know as we've been talking i don't necessarily like stereotypes anyway so i don't like to participate in those so that was a big factor i think the other lesson too was that it's your home so treat it with love and respect so i was like by the numbers maintenance by the numbers cleaning um I was careful with it. I really took it. It was my lifeboat, you know, so I took, you know, I really took care of it. And I had a little schedule and I kept it really clean. It was really organized, but that's kind of a thing for me. I'm, you know, I'm just naturally organized because I get confused really easy. I can get confused so fast. I'm just like deer in the headlights. So when I get organized, I can really see things and I can respond very easily and it's very comforting for me now I'm not out there with a q-tip like Howard Hughes or anything <laughs> you know, but, but I, moving I, the coffee cup yeah, I mean you know two it's inches like, oh, to the right here. holy shit you know, I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah um, I have a few friends who um, were in the military and I find that that's one thing that got drummed into them very effectively is organization and making your bed
1: and just knowing where your shit is oh oh big time well you know my response is okay so let's just play like you know the defiant my response is okay great but what's the downside Mm, yeah it's mm, like a clean bathroom yeah what's the downside yeah man oh i'm just i mean if anybody can come up with an argument about a clean van that you're living in is a bad thing, I'm, I'm available because I'm fucking naturally lazy, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> if I can get away with not well, doing Well, you
0: start spending 30% of your time looking for shit. Oh, Listen, God. I know. And then,
1: you know, something's going to happen. Like, in my van, it's like, well, if I don't know where this is. I mean, I actually, like, because I was single at the time, I had all sorts of, like, little, I don't know what I would call, like, inviting options. So, I had, like, extra toothbrushes. I had, like, bought tampons and panty lines <laughs> um, I, I had like, who says chivalry is you know, dead you know, I was just like um I had like wipies and and um, I mean I you know I want to create a compelling interest because I was pretty lonely at the time and I'm like, nah, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't want anything and I'm like I remember this really really beautiful girl who was uh um it was in San Diego down in Cardiff and she's like oh you want to go out and I'm like yeah no yeah I mean I was such an idiot but Uh, I said, yeah, and she says, where do you live? And I said, and I just kind of looked over my shoulder and I go, I live at Sandy right there. (laughs) She looked at me like, oh, that's so cool. And then I opened the door and it's just like immaculate and everything's organized. And I'm like, I can cook you a three course meal right here. She looked at me like, are you serious? And I said, and that's when, you know, game on. I'm like, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow, six o'clock. I'll pick you up here. We're going to go out to this beautiful sunset spot. I'll be ready to go. So I made her this elaborate dinner and everything. But she said, I'll never forget it. You're so organized. And I thought, well, we could stop the date right here. Because I just like, <laughs> yay, you know? But, uh,
0: well, the thing is, too, is when a beautiful girl tells you you're organized, you really internalize that quality and all of a sudden, you're the most organized motherfucker for the oh, rest of your uh, life. yeah! I mean, come just on, like Don. Know. Like if someone you respect always says, "Don, I really love how you follow up. You always follow up, man. It's great quality." All of a sudden, that that quality just seeps into
1: your veins. I I would say that actually goes along for living life. Feed mm-hmm. the wolf you want, Mm-hmm. right? And you know, it's up to somebody else to take on the compliment if they want it or not. But for me, if you give me a compliment, I don't even care if it's half ass. I'm all over it. Because, it's so weird how
0: when people can't accept compliments. Well,
1: I can tell you what's going on is somewhere in their life when they received a compliment, the back end was the rider bill. You know what I mean? Yeah. As an example. Oh, you know, Kyle, you're so organized. You look great. If you only did this, it'd be even better. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to give you a compliment. I'm going to steal it from you. Yeah. You know, parents do that to kids all the time. Oh, that's a beautiful artwork. But if you had really done this, you just stole it from them. You just actually people don't know this, but. More damage is done out of love than out of hate. Do tell. You know, yeah, I mean. Not knowing how to give a correct compliment. Yeah, it's like how to give a correct compliment, how to take an apology. People don't know how to be apologized to. You know, I, I, I learned how to be apologized to very early on, and I set very clear boundaries. When someone apologizes to me, my answer is the same. Thanks a lot. It means a lot. Let's move on. They got the courage to come forward and apologize. I'm going to set the soil for that seed to blossom. Because guess what? It may be me next time. You know, that's the myth of the perfect person. You know, the self-indulgent Messiah. Are you kidding? Everybody farts on the airplane on a 12-hour flight. I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody's crop dusting, as they say. So why don't you just accept that? So the same thing goes for... When you're giving a compliment, just look somebody in the eye and say, hey, that was really great. And that's it. You just move on. Let it go. If they don't want to take it on, you can always come back and make a physical touch so that it grounds them in their body and say, listen, I don't know if you really took that on. I really appreciate the fact that you clean the kitchen. That means a lot to me. You didn't have to do that. And if they don't take it on, you just "No," so, And you kind of keep coaching them like, please take this in. Oh, i'm not yeah, gonna man. I am not going to steal it from you, Ugh. but people steal compliments yeah, you
0: know, so it's so strange how that happens, man and uh another one is that people will apologize when they're not really sorry. You ever have the friend who says sorry ten times a day for things that weren't really their fault and they shouldn't be apologizing for like yeah. like a friend who's it's they're like it's like you being in the living room and you're working on something, and then I walk in and sit down at the table to work on something, and you apologize for being in the space, even though it's your space. It's people yeah. who apologize for
1: ex- for their very existence. In a yeah, certain way. yeah, that's a tough one. Honestly, I don't. I mm. at some point, I don't know. Maybe you say something to the effect of, "You can apologize if you want, but you didn't do anything wrong."
0: how did we just get on this? We were talking about van life, but I like it. I like this face that we just got in. Yeah, it's true. Yeah.
1: I mean, mean, the other factor too is, and I'll be honest with you. I, I used to apologize for the fact I lived in a van. Like me personally inside, I was good with it. I was okay. It's not permanent. Nothing's permanent, even life. Newsflash. So I would have, I just had like a lot of shame and I wouldn't approach people. And I, you know, I mean, that's not conventional. So if you're going to do that, just be aware that, hey, there, there's going to be some sand, you know, in the gears and be ready to address it.
0: Yes. But I find that when you can, uh, you know who, uh, I think his name was Cato. He was the, he was a um, stoic, famous stoic philosopher. Cato would... That does ring a bell, but I have not I read could be, ever. I could be getting the name wrong, but I believe it was Cato, and he would wear a purple tunic certain days of the week to be purposely humiliated, and people would laugh at him as he would walk down the street, and the... The point of what, him wearing this tunic was to only be embarrassed about things that he should truly be embarrassed about and nothing else.
1: Oh, that's very conscious. That's very conscious.
0: So, living in a van, right?
1: Will, or just how I walk out of the house every day. Right. <laughs> like who dresses? Nothing, me? nothing like, can against schizophrenic you. or something. No, I'm teasing. And but, nothing against schizophrenic. have a lot of
0: friends. But I find that mm-hmm. people who are willing to. Um, be themselves in one aspect of life tend to be more useful to the really the moral compass of society when their lives are done you know what I mean Like, like they're willing they're more willing to Uh, Buck the status quo in other aspects of their life when they have come to terms with not being the cool kid on the block and trying to appease everyone around them.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I think that, you know, he's going into a a space where um, conformity, you know, consistently destroys your own humanity. Uh -uh, I mean, all the time. And so when you say, well, I'm thinking about living in a van, (laughs) yeah, all day. Nobody says you're going to live in there until you die. Although, I mean, that could happen if you had, like, a, at your age, like an aneurysm or something, <laughs> something unusual. But it's just for now. Like, the home you're going to buy later. Or the kids you have are going to be kids for now. Then they become adults. And then they become old. And then you become old. And that's for now. I mean, everything's for now. And that's that... I think a consistent desire in a chaotic world to latch onto something that has a level of permanence, which in and of itself is a setup. It is a fucking setup for pain Ooh. and anxiety. <sighs> yeah. Right? Oh, it's well, I'm sorry. You know, yeah, but Mickey, he dropped in on a 20-footer and yours was only 18. <laughs> Dude, they both kill you.
0: Or you're 20 years old and you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, and everyone tells you you're just the most beautiful person, and then all of a sudden you see a wrinkle on your face. Oh, Oh. I mean, yeah.
1: So that's one of the reasons why the ability to be what I call in your state of personal sovereignty is a very important meditation on a daily basis. How do you meditate on that? So the meditation is not sitting down in a lotus position staring at, you know, with incense and all the rest of the spiritual materialism people interface with. It is the idea that, wait a minute, first off, comparison is the root of all suffering. Secondly, I have no idea what they're dealing with in their life. Thirdly, most criticism is the the byproduct of jealousy and I am changing, I'm not permanent. There is no way to get older without skin damage. There's no way to get older without other health issues. And there's no way to get older, we hope, to not see things in a higher level of clarity than when we're 15. So change is life. Why not roll with the river of change like a kayaker moves through that river? Why would I want to resist and swim upstream? That's so much fucking work. And if it's a big river, I got news for you, you're swimming up, but you're going down. So, uh, um, ego, is uh, a misunderstood reality. And so as a photographer, I can tell you now, I hate so many photographers I interface with because they have such inflated egos. I mean, if Carl Jung were alive today, he would probably do a massive dissertation on these idiots. I've always looked at myself when I'm really deep into photojournalism and things like that. I'm just a mailman. I'm just delivering. You know, I'm not the message. I didn't write this. Because it's true. Yeah, there's an energy going through you, but I'm it's not conduit. sticking with yeah, you.
0: That's con- the only kinds of people who I see who attain um, mass amounts of success and fame and don't become crazy is when they see themselves as a messenger as and as a conduit where the energy is just moving through them. And that can be helpful to other people. And they don't try and hoard that energy for themselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, let's be honest with you. As of right now... In our solar system, the most powerful energy is projecting energy. It's not pulling it in. Mm, Do you tell? It's the sun. Oh, okay, yeah. It's projecting wow. energy, right? It doesn't contain it, does it? It's not hoarding it. It's not, you know, you know, get, get, get all you can and yeah. sit on the rest.
0: It's high fives and chest pumps. It's giving them out all day, yeah, every day. You know, it's like I'm here P. to POP, powered on positivity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, not to get, you know, like like bizarre in a way that we lose anybody. But I, I think you're right. I think that the the basic premise is that you are going to be contributing. You are giving out. You are trying to live your life that's authentic. Because no one's ever raised a monument to an imitator. It's been the innovator. And innovators are heretical to the given organism they're involved with. Period. There's no way to get around that. You You can't come up with... A new way of thinking. You can't come up with so many different things without being heretical. To ha- not have jealousy, to not have that, and the reason why is most humans or Homo sapiens are operating from scarcity. They're not operating from abundance. And so, none of my photographic process was ever been secret. I'll show you anything you want to know. Anything. Huh. Oh, you want to do this in post? Do this. You want to be? No, you want to stand here. No, you need to. No, you need to get on the ground. Don't stand up. Whatever. Why? Because they're going to see the world in their vision, not mine. There's no way to emulate Don Mira. There's no way to emulate you or anybody. The problem is, is we're running around emulating everybody else. And that's where essentially deification comes from. And then we have the whole like professional athlete world. You know, I find your surfing really inspiring. It's inspiring. It's not comparative. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Because you're not me. I'm a giant are you kidding no big deal I would love to be big wave uh, surfing on a regular basis but my life doesn't support it and my current uh, age may not support it right I don't know Kenny Bradshaw dropped in on some big waves at my age you know which was very inspiring I want to say you know but um, that's the point I don't compare I get inspired I like that that's That's more important that's more important And I think that we, you know, I want to point this out, and this is something that I've got a real issue with. Everybody's worried about what they're going to do next. They've never, ever taken a moment to go, what have other people done before me? And I will tell you right now, you'll make more mistakes by not looking back, at least for a moment, than you ever... Sorry, my brain just like really. <laughs> got to it. I, know, I thought your head was about to explode. I know. Oh, I no, it's really good. emotional about that, man. Fuck
0: you, yeah, man. I hear that. I hear that 100%. And it becomes neurotic. And we just keep looking down for the next little hit, next little hit, trying to find the newest thing. And as a result, you see um, all of the magazines come out with the same story on the same month.
1: Right? Yeah. I want to point this out, too. Let's go back to something you started out with, with journaling you're having the same emotional experiences in different environments because you haven't taken a moment to go wait a second let me go upstream or look back what is the root behind that and that's you know for me early on as a photojournalist i was you know this guy said hey man always make sure you look behind you you might be missing something huh and i thought that's a good tip ooh right and I segued, I like to branch very disassociational behaviors and ideas together. So my climbing partner, Darren and I, not the van, um, <laughs> um, we used to, we have this uh, phrase, climb safe, stay friends, get to the top. Don't change the order because you can't get to the top without a friend and you're not going to get to the top if you die. So we would always check each other's harness before the day starts. Because you don't know. You could be tired, you make a mistake, there's a lot going on. It's the same thing. Just look over your shoulder, you might be missing something. You know, it's the same thing with like you're in a relationship, they're acting out. Wait a minute, what's really going on? When was the last time I had something to eat? Was it a hard day for you? Let's not do any of that. Let's do this. Why don't you take a bath? You know, what am I getting at? It's being attentive and being aware. And paying attention do you remember where that
0: friend told you to always look over your shoulder
1: i think i want to say that was in seattle
0: and was that before you were heading out on your international photojournalism no it
1: was during this uh, protest that took place down in seattle with like the World Trade Organization, it was a long time ago. I, I don't want to weigh in with any sure. level of accuracy because I would miss, I might misrepresent myself. But it was, I think what he was getting at was like, there's always great photos, you know, the one you see is amazing, but look over your shoulder. And I think some of that was too, was to make sure that, you know, you're not going to get riot sticked or the crowd's going to bum rush you or something else. But also I think Ansel Adams also promoted that too. Like look over your shoulder, you might be missing other light. in some ways but I've always to to be honest with myself I try and practice that and that's something else that goes into that creative process you know is I'm really gentle with myself like failure in the creative world is where you live you don't live in success you know that's not the truth you live in failure you know if you don't have a thick skin you're going to either get one or you're going to die in the vine in the creative world Right. That's the truth. And so I think that, like you were saying before, well, how do I handle the fact I get a wrinkle? And you say, yeah. And guess what? There's a lot of older actors. There's a lot of older models. There's moms. I mean, the biggest money making in, in different industries aren't necessarily young people. I mean, that's where the media is, but that not be where the money is. you'd be famous and broke. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're seeing that a lot now, man. Oh, People God. have 300,000 Instagram followers and can't figure out how to monetize it.
1: Yeah, and... Which in and of itself is more than likely the indication of a defunct state.
0: There's a good uh, article that you would enjoy called Famous and Broke. That was an, an original. Oh. And it's all about the Instagram generation and content creators trying to monetize what they've got. And a lot of people having a very hard time doing it, even though they have massive followings. I think a
1: lot of it is all myth. That's yeah. just an opinion. You know, somebody else could, could probably disagree with a, with, a, with a level of fever, you know. <sighs> Fuck yeah, man. So, I think for people that are Let me let me back up while I can still keep my brain in like verbal mode before sure. it goes light speed. No, we're but... going here and then we're going to photojournalism. Okay, we're going to go here for just a short time. Okay, so one of the big key factors to get the artifacts of your life in registration with you is to understand you, and the best way to do that is to stop buying in to what's out there. Let's talk about photojournalism.
0: Turn in... What was it? Tune
1: in, turn on, and drop out. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, look... Okay, this gets into... Man, let me just tell you right now, everybody, there's a lot of wisdom that was built in the 60s that everybody's discarded as fashion. Right? Okay? Yeah, man, so I hear if, that. If, if you don't know who Alan Watts is, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You don't know who Christian Murdy is. You don't know who Feldenkrais is. You don't know who Huxley is. I mean, seriously... These are really key sages that were offering up information to us. Uh, Scott Peck, come on, man. The road less traveled. Now, everybody will take that and they'll just go, oh, well, this is some ethereal and this is part of the hippie culture and all the rest of this. Discounting and, dis- and diminishment. But the reality is, Consciousness and wisdom does not come from black and white thinking. It comes from the gray area. It comes from repurposing. How can I take this negative experience and make it positive? How can I take someone's insult and make it into a positive experience? You know, here's a great one, and we'll jump into journalism. I submitted a portfolio to the editor of Stern Magazine. Now, anybody that knows anything about journalism, like Stern has always been, you know, like they do the hard stuff. You know, they show poverty in Indonesia by um, the photographers from Magnum. I mean, the list goes on. And this guy is just like raking me over the coals. And I mean, my self-esteem was just like plummeting like a brick thrown into the Grand Canyon. I was like like at terminal velocity in 200 feet and it's a mile down. I'm like, whoa. And then I said, well, wow. I mean, well, okay. Well, okay. You know, you got to suck it up and take it. You know, because I tell you what, whining doesn't improve the situation. So, quickly, regarding your point on the
0: '60s, I couldn't agree more. And the more that I've done podcasts, the, and the more the more people have turned me on to these people like Alan Watts, the more I've fallen into this rabbit hole, and I'm seeing so much of what they were saying then, applying directly. To what we're doing now
1: and Big it's time Dude it's simple
0: The psychedelic movement Absolutely. back then And now the resurgence of that Coming back the protest Movement you know the the, the Level that politics is in Our minds today mm. Hasn't been there Since a time in the 60s right a time when People in their 20s people Who are my age are now Finally realizing that that they can take to the streets in one way or another. And I think that there, to your point, people have taken the 60s and seen it as now only a fashion statement, but being a hippie back then meant challenging the status quo. Or fashion. Or fashion. And
1: I want to point that out. Let's not romanticize things. It's important to me. Like, let's stick to the facts. Right. Most hippies came from white, uh, affluent families. Didn't have a lot of black hippies. Right. Didn't have a lot of Hispanic... You mean in the 60s? Excuse. Yes, in the 60s. In the 60s. Okay. That's not to diminish anything. I'm speaking in broad terms. These are just broad strokes. Mm -hmm. What's important is to say in broad terms, what they were doing was questioning what was happening at the time as being a good idea. That's the key. It doesn't matter if you wear a French coat it doesn't matter if you wear ferragamo shoes it doesn't matter if you have a flat bill cap or you wear a flapper dress it's wait a minute what's happening right now is not okay and how do i express the fact that it's not okay Right.
0: Okay. And that would maybe be better defined as the counterculture movement more than the hippie movement, because there were blacks and Hispanics who were a part of the 60s Absolutely. counterculture. Absolutely. Movement. Yeah. They
1: just didn't dress the same way. That's right. And so I think as we deconstruct that to understand its modus operandi, its functionalism, what was what were they trying to do? Were they successful? That's another factor. Were they successful? Did that change really happen? And did the change happen because of that effort? Or was that ancillary of another actual source of change that that event they were involved in just happened to be part of that? Does that make
0: sense? It does, it does. And I think that what is what is important or, and what I continually come back to as I am have been reading up on Alan Watts and reading up on a lot of these mavens of the 60s is that there was not any association between being a hippie and being intellectually lazy. Mm. Right? So well, the counterculture so. movement back then was very much intellectually rigorous. You look at Berkeley in the 60s. Right? It was about people gaining knowledge so that they could gain power. Whereas today, being a hippie is associated with many times a kind of intellectual laziness yeah, and, oh, a kind, I, and a kind and a kind of mm. questioning of the system but not... Having um, the next step thought out, if that abs- makes sense. Of abs- like, well, here's what we can do in response to this.
1: Absolutely, and I think you're on to something. And I think that the the method by which one is going to effectively protest, which could be nonverbal, you don't have to hold a sign to protest. You can hold a protest in other ways. But I think in the end, I'm always I'm always suspect of conspicuous behavior. I'm always just like, hmm, does that have sticking power? Does that really make a difference? Because for me, I put my attention on my intention and that directs my energy. If I want attention, it's easy. I wear a bozo suit with my penis out. I get attention and I go to jail, you know, for whatever reason. But what I'm getting at, to use an extreme example, though, is let's bring it back, is if I need to be conspicuous in my behavior, what does that mean later on when I'm not? Right, that's one of the reasons why. Inherently, for me, when I did a lot of photojournalism when I was really active, I really considered in the long run, like, I want this to last. Right. I don't want fashion. I'm really I, there's something about me I don't know what it is, and I, I hope other your listeners can grasp this, but I do not want to be associated with fashion. I do not want to be associated with novelty. I do not want to be associated with what I call bubblegum reality. You want it to be able to stand the test of time. Hey, howdy. Right. Right. When you look at photojournalism, let's move into that space because I'm, I'm dying. Brisson, like there it is. There's nothing else to say. Henri cartier Brisson, the father of photojournalism. You know, I mean, that's it. You can look at any image there and it's will cook your mind what made him so unique I think it was uh, the perfect storm so to speak right place right time right attitude right mentality Um, the technology was primitive Um, his artistic background was verbose you know and that's saying it lightly Um, means he had the financial means to be able to do that and the world was smaller then and he realized that recordings are boring Moments are valuable. Do tell. So a recording is, pornography is recording, but that's not a moment. A moment is the embrace of two lovers that have been separated. There's a difference. Subtle, but significant.
0: Bring me into a situation on a photojournalism trip where you have had to think in those terms.
1: So there's a, there's a photograph that, um, wow, wow. There's a photograph that I have of a young girl who was in a small little town in Haiti called Cape Haitian. All right. And charcoal is a big source of fuel for most Haitians. And um, if I get slightly emotional, uh, bear with me here because it's pretty intense still, you know, all these years later. Um, But the Haitians that sell charcoal are just covered in soot. And so they're, I mean, they're like black, like obsidian black, lacquer black. You know, it absorbs light in a way. But their skin is devoid of sun. So when they wash off, their skin is this like, uh, I don't aged caramel it's just like as a photographer who works in like three different viewing modes you know one is composition geometry the other one is context and the third one's color you know I love black and white but color is something that especially with people of dark skin that I just cannot get enough of their their, their skin color is it's almost it's just almost sexual it's just so rich and thick. And this small girl just turns and looks at me. And I capture this moment. And in her eyes are desperation. Like that that, that desperation. That's a moment. Okay. I have another photograph of the charcoal salesman with their wheelbarrows and they're all kind of looking away now that's a moment but that's also a bit of a recording but that gives context to a bigger story okay it's kind of a blending of both but the the, the thing about like really good photojournalism is it's not a recording it's not contrived it should be challenging for you it should hurt <clears throat> it should make you smile it should, it should give you emotion it's not data Right. What drew you to Haiti? It's raw. It's raw life. And it doesn't it doesn't lie. <clears throat> it tells you I'm poor, I'm suffering, and I need help. And I don't have an option. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't have an option. And then a lot of people don't understand this. So when I was in Haiti for my first trip, um, within three days, I got this email from my ex-wife. I won't be here when you come back. My destiny is before me and it doesn't include you. And I'm just like, "Uh, uh, Ouch. How do I respond? This is while you're in Haiti. Yeah. And I'm in like a remote part of Haiti where I'm actually using, this is true, a sat phone with a solar panel to get email. And I honestly, again, I'm not a, a Luddite, but I've always been kind of basically my litmus test for anything new is how does this improve the life experience? And so I've always been kind of like waning back and forth like "Ah, i could do that but do i really want to Yeah, okay email's good you know so i like i get this email and i'm with this friend of mine and is great guy did some climbing you know got me really helped me to get more mentally healthy through a couple of friends of his and i was like ah. and he looks at me and he goes man that's fucked up and I just went, I just looked at him like, Fuck. <laughs> and I emailed, uh, my biological father who I didn't know until I was 27 or 28 and an incredibly gifted therapist, like really phenomenal. I've seen him in action with like, that's with PTSD I've seen him. And he emails me back and he said, grab your camera. You have a job to do. So I just grabbed my camera and just poured myself in the emotion of what I saw. And so when you are doing your work as a creative and you're in that kind of space, not the suffering space, but you're in the space where you're seeking to move beyond the recording, then I think you're actually offering something of value to others. Right. That's what's true for me. I I, I mean, I can't weigh in for you in your writing. I mean, I've seen your work, though, and it's really awesome. And it's not, is it technically awesome? That's another vote. Is it um, compositionally awesome? That's another vote. Does it inspire me to think? Hell yeah. And that's the point, is for me to be inspired to think, for me to be inspired to look at a greater part of myself. Because... We need that in our species, as much as humanly possible.
0: Whew, that was a story, Don Mara. Damn, satellite phones and all. So how, so then you went back to Haiti two more times after yeah, that trip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, so it kept so, drawing you well, back. It was,
1: it's, uh, the, the trip I just described was second trip. The first trip was a lot earlier. Okay. I wasn't really involved as a journalist at that time. The second trip was interesting because... Uh, uh, uh how do I put this? Uh I got inspired to go back by a guy from National Geographic who had done some book editing. He runs a uh company called Momenta, which is a it's kind of like a work, a photo workshop for people that want to do more creative photography. Um and I just I just yeah, I went back. I thought, man, this is I mean and Haiti's intense. Yeah, it's hard I'm to not, go kinda, back. That's that's why
0: I'm not fluffing over this decision yeah, that you yeah. had to go back to not only a country that has a lot of pain, but also a lot of uh metaphorical Oh no, there's no metaphor. No, I mean,
1: Kyle, there's no metaphor. I, yeah, it was, it was painful to it's, go back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was you know, I mean I could go on. But you know, I found out though, um that when that event happened with uh the complete abandonment of the marriage. And I mean, there was just so much that went into that. And I really, I wish that pain on no one. Like that night I had a, I slept and I woke up and I felt that I was on this, imagine like a tightly woven net of metal and there were flames flying up below me, burning me. I was like burning inside, like my soul was burning from this loss, from this lie, from this abandonment. And I remember waking up and saying, there's a choice you have to move on or to stay. And I thought, well, if you're going through hell, don't stop, keep going. And so, I mean, I would often like do photography and then Almost have tears in my eyes as I'm taking the photo. The emotion just would not, and I just wouldn't resist it. You know, I learned a long time ago: don't resist your emotions because they're gonna fucking find their way out. <laughs> so ooze out, oh one way, man, way or, or just flood out. I mean, it's better to just let the valve open, and eventually the steam is lost. But I wouldn't say that my best work was done at that time, but certainly the awareness of what it means to be in the place of good work had become clear. Like, I suddenly got coordinates that I could navigate to. Right. And I also knew something else, and this is the key. I knew when my work sucked because I wasn't on the azimuth of those coordinates. And that was almost more valuable than knowing the space. Does that make sense?
0: Be, uh, a little bit. So, you, because you were in such a dark time yourself, you weren't patting yourself on the back. Unneedlessly, uh, is that kind of what yeah, you mean? I'm not, like, you I'm not, like I'm
1: not, I'm not doing that, and I'm also not saying, Oh, well, this is great work. No, it's not because you know why? Because you're doing this shit, you're performing, you're lying, you're emulating, you're doing what you did before, you fucking copycat of yourself. How fucking disingenuous is that? This is the conversation yeah, happening yeah, while oh, you're man, in Haiti. There's like two or three people in my brain on a regular basis that are talking to me, and I'm just like, Shut the fuck up, I need a break, right? But, um, no, it, it,
0: it, the. In those days following, though, I think that this is really important. You chose to to continue to work. You co- you chose to continue to move forward. And in your words,
1: if you're in hell, don't stop. Yeah, I mean, the reality is that that you're not. I am. I imagine in my life, and maybe this is good, maybe this is bad, but it's been highly functional. I really do imagine my life as like this. I don't want to say like higher being, but someone of phenomenal potential to do good that is running into this open battlefield with their sword drawn to attack the darkness that is manifested in physical form. Ultimately, the darkness is myself, right? It's the doubter. It's, it's what I call the committee. The fucking committee shows up. They got night you know, sticks and riot gear and they're just going to kick the shit out of me for being an innocent man, Right. And so instead of turning to the outside world through either theological practices or through monetary social constructs, through social convention or what have you, instead I turn internally and fight them on my own terms. And I just, there's a great saying, a friend of mine went through a brutal divorce about the same time I was going through mine and he was really struggling, you know, and I'm just like, dude, draw your sword and charge the horde get it right because the reality is no matter what happens out there it won't change what happens in here so as a journalist me having those moments and really getting clarity really liberated me of worrying about other people like oh well they like it well they don't like you don't understand like this is an internal experience you're in a raw space i want to be raw Because then otherwise I might be an editor. And if I'm an editor, I'm a liar. What your podcast is great about is bringing people to truth. What really good podcasts are about, what real good conversations are about, where people to go deep. And I say the deeper you go, the more you know. Right, great waves break, why? It's not the water, it's the bottom that you don't see. That's deep, man. Yeah, maybe so.
0: I fucking love it, man. Yeah, I I <clears throat> there are these moments in our lives that um are critical and they're critical how we act and how we respond in these moments. Really can shape us. And a lot of times when we miss those moments or when we go and we run and hide or we seek distraction um it becomes very difficult to step back up to the plate
1: and can ruin us. Oh, uh, absolutely. I describe distraction as breathing, as this weird world. I used to do a lot of free diving, Uh, not like 300 feet breath hold thing, but I used to do a fair amount. um, More about like, let's go to a depth, but then let's cruise along, right? Well, that's where the action is. But every now and then you gotta go to the surface and breathe, right? And if it's stressful, you gotta breathe too. But if you define your life based on the avoidance of stress, that can be dangerous. Provided that stress is positive. Does that make sense? Yes. Right, so. um, As a climber, you know, I I did this long climb. Eight days on the side of El Cap. Long time alone no radio no cell phone just me the rock terror but my portal edge was my breather i got to breathe that's when i could just eat and relax so too distraction can be a place to be and relax but you can't forget to keep climbing and that's important Because if you get to keep climbing, you'll stay in the portal edge and die.
0: That's our show, everyone. Head over to donmira.com to check out his images. I'm now doing a monthly email where just once a month I send you the best documentaries I've been watching, the best books I've been reading, the best articles I've been digging. This month the documentary was Icarus. Highly recommend checking it out. And the article was I Think You're Fat by A.J. Jacobs, a story about radical honesty. You can head over to my website kyle.surf to sign up for the uh, monthly newsletter. I'm going to play you out with a song by Light the Band called Me and Baby Brother. And once again, I want to thank Core Surf for supporting this episode of the show. Head over to CoreSurf.com. That's C-O-R-Surf.com. Type in the code name Kyle30 and get 30% off all their products. Have a great day, and I'll see you guys soon. One, two, one, two, three, four.